Welcome everyone to Roger's List. This is the podcast where we are watching every single one of Roger Ebert's great movies. My name is Steve Gunley. And I'm Michaela Nicholson. And that's right. We are back. And to the left. And to We're the back. And to the left. I always, in my head, every time I see that scene, I think of Fat Joe's song, like Lean Back. I put that in my head. So I oh, want wow. somebody out there to do a mashup of that because I don't know how to do mashups. Oh, but man. you can leave out the graphic footage of the president of the United States being murdered. But uh, <laughs> but otherwise, it's a banger. It's a banger. I like to think that you start singing the song during that scene. Yeah, I kind of did a little bit. I was watching this by myself and I'm not proud of that. That's not my greatest uh, film going uh, moment, but I did it a little bit. Uh, welcome, everybody. We are going to be discussing Oliver Stone's JFK in just a moment. But first, as always, we are going to look back on the movie we discussed last week, which was In Cold Blood. Richard Brooks' In Cold Blood, a movie we both very much liked, Still I think. Still thinking about it. Still thinking about it. Still a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are going to be discussing Roger's essay on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went back. I went back and read it today. Uh, what did you think of uh, the essay on this? Um... I was a little disappointed. There weren't as many nuggets of wisdom that I found in the essay we read last week. Right. Uh, it was a little bit more straightforward. Also, I was a little embarrassed because one in one part of the essay, he points out something that I talked about last week um, as being very impactful to me. That scene with the Capote stand-in. Mm. Um, he called it heavy-handed dialogue. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of zoned in or zeroed in on that part two because mm-hmm. he was kind of saying that the introduction of this capote like surrogate character late in the movie is the biggest flaw of the film mm-hmm. because he just kind of like says outright like it becomes like kind of a capital punishment mm-hmm. diatribe and uh i i i see where he's coming from i think he illustrates it well because he pointed out that like the rest of the movie is told so flatly mm-hmm. and matter-of-factly like with the violence and everything like that yeah that it does seem a little odd to have a character kind of come out of nowhere and explain the themes to you. Sure. Like, I can see that, but I, I, I can't say I agree with his sentiment towards the end of the essay where he said, anyone watching this movie would agree that the two men deserve to die. Yeah. No. I don't think that's the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, you can argue that the capital punishment stuff comes in a little a little late mm-hmm. to be like really impactful, but I don't think the takeaway that anyone in, involved in this movie wants you to have is that these men deserve to die. No, no. It says that these men did a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. These men should be in jail. These men mm-hmm. did something senseless and monstrous, but mm-hmm. I don't think anywhere in the movie is it saying like, I, I don't think we're supposed to feel that these men are supposed to die. No, it doesn't feel glorified, the no. death or like some sort of revenge or anything like that. And I, I don't know, I guess if Mr. Ebert were here today, hmm. I would say I disagree because, yeah, the rest of the movie did was understated and didn't and wasn't flashy and showy. And that's what made that moment stand out so much. Yeah. Because it, I don't know, I liked that it came in sort of late and like hit you over the head because of everything that you had just seen, you know? And I thought that's why it stood out to me, is because it it, it was different than everything we had seen for the past two hours. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I think uh, this essay also called attention something that both of us missed, um... And it's kind of he kind of refers to it as the most iconic shot of the movie, and I've seen it referred to that as elsewhere. But it's the scene right before uh, Perry is about to recount what actually happened in the murder, mm-hmm. and the light coming through the window. It's like the rain is on his face, and it looks like there are tears streaming down his mm. face. So apparently, that's like one of the most iconic shots of this huh. movie, and it's one of Conrad Conrad Hall's like famous shots. Oh, and I don't think we really commented on. Yeah. I don't think I even really noticed it. Is it? 
So was that him in the room with the priest looking out the window, or was it him in the car? It's it's in the, he... with the priest. It's oh. like right before he's about to tell the whole story, and we're okay. going to see the murder. Yeah. But like, yeah, and apparently from reading it, that was an accident. That wasn't hmm. even something they intended to do. It just happened oh. to be raining the day they were shooting that, and they wanted some kind of mm-hmm. moody lighting. Interesting. But yeah, I didn't catch on that scene at all. But no, uh, but it's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> anyway, that was In Cold Blood, a movie we both liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Definitely go check it out out read the essay yeah i think i think straightforward is kind of the right uh some of his essays were like that they were just yeah. kind of like it seems like something you would just read in his column yeah yeah like, yeah um, yeah afternoon. yeah a little bit mm-hmm. so it didn't you know but I, I think the movie makes a good enough argument for itself to be mm-hmm. one of the great films like yeah. i think it's i think it was a very powerful movie mm-hmm. all right so let's get into our movie today which is a film called jfk uh Wait, did you want me to do a one sentence oh i do <laughs> yes please <laughs> give me a one Just sentence cause... summary of this movie I, i'm curious because yeah go ahead okay here we go <clears throat> Two racist, misogynistic white men who kill an entire family for a silver dollar, comma. Here is a movie that makes us rethink the death penalty. Okay, very nice, very nice. Thank you, thank you. There you go. (laughs) Um, So, yes, uh, JFK, JFK, let's Mm -hmm. talk about this. So the uproar around this movie has subsided a bit, but at the time of its release, this movie was a flashpoint of controversy, and I think... Divorced from that context, the film isn't going to have as much impact as it does. Do you I have mean, memory 20, of that 29 years on. I would have been like eight or nine okay. and not really <laughs> watching this movie. I remember seeing the posters for this movie in the video this store. This would be a really boring movie for an eight or nine year old. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine I would have been into it. I definitely I saw this movie once before when I was maybe it was right around I was starting to get into movies, and I think mm. you know every douchey white man has to go through an Oliver Stone phase. Apparently, this was part of mine. Um, so yeah, it, it's. Looking at it now, I think this movie is, I mean, I don't know, we'll we'll get into it a little Mm -hmm. bit. I think the movie is incredibly compelling. Mm -hmm. It's extremely watchable, very Mm -hmm. entertaining, Mm -hmm. and pretty wrongheaded in just about everything. And I think, I think we're going to be, we're going to be digging into this a little bit, but you know, I, you can't really argue that this movie created conspiracy theorists, Mm. but this one definitely lionizes them. gives them a platform gives them a platform (laughs) and and again in 1991 you know conspiracy theorists were seen as kind of like charming whack jobs it wasn't Mm -hmm. they weren't dangerous it was kind of fun to indulge Mm -hmm. in some of this stuff the roswell uh Mm -hmm. uh, cover-up and and the links between lincoln and jfk and all these things were they were conspiracy theorists ever seen as heroes in the popular culture or martyrs or like the underdogs not that i can see and this movie really (laughs) gives them that kind of voice which I, you know, and again, you can't lay it on this movie, but you have to wonder if the impact and the the success of this movie didn't help embolden certain people, like Alex Jones and some of the other, oh, like you yeah. know, conspiracy oh peddling God, can you charlatans. Picture, picture Alex Jones watching this movie. Uh, just raging boner the entire time. <laughs> just a tiny, tiny, tiny Gross. ineffectual boner. <laughs> um, yeah, come at me, Alex Jones, you piece of shit. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I think this movie would have emboldened a lot of people. But let's dig into some of the details a little bit. JFK was released December 20th, 1991, directed by Oliver Stone. He also wrote the screenplay. Mm -hmm. 
And this stars Kevin Costner, Kevin Bacon, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman, Laurie Metcalf, Michael Rooker, Sissy Spacek, and Martin Sheen. And another big name that was not included in the credits for some reason is Joe Pesci. Who, oh, he's not in the credits? He's not in the credits. That's weird. Was he just a nobody? He just No, no. He was a huge deal oh. at this time. He's fresh off Home Alone at this huh. time. Like, he's the biggest his yeah. career's ever been. And Goodfellas had already come out, too, Goodfe- right? He just won the Oscar so this year. So was this year. just like a cameo situation? Pesci is very mercurial. He, he kind of, you know, you'll notice if you look at his career he'll like he'll hit really hard for a couple years mm-hmm. he'll vanish for like a decade mm-hmm. he'll come back do some weird project vanish for another <laughs> decade then he comes back in martin scorsese's the irishman yeah. gets an oscar nomination all of his joe pesci fans freak out and that's kind of how his career has been. He was a child actor mm. who had quit the business by the time Raging Bull came out. And mm. Scorsese basically had to beg him. Mm. So he's kind of always been in this position where he doesn't have to do movies unless he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't take credit for movies unless he really feels like it. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. he's an odd guy. But he has a very large part in this movie and he's not in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie was nominated for eight Academy Awards. And that includes mm-hmm. Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. It makes sense. This definitely screams Oscar movie. Yeah, definitely. I would not have gone with Tommy Lee Jones, though. No. I guess he doesn't have as much... Uh, he's not as memorable to me as Gary Oldman in this. Yeah, sure. Or, I wouldn't uh, have gone with Pesci. Tommy Lee Jones either. I probably would have gone with Joe Pesci. Yeah. I think Kevin Costner was boring. Yeah, he was I, terrible. He had, movie. like, the same sort of, like, not monotone, but just drawl yeah. throughout. No matter, like, if a scene was sad or exciting or, or like... The climax, it was the same, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have two... I mean, we're getting ahead again, but we have two very long monologues in this movie. One of them is done by Donald Sutherland, and it's Mm -hmm. gripping. Uh And the other one is done by Kevin Costner, and he's... The content is fascinating, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the the delivery is very monotone. Yeah. He's helped uh, a lot by the score. He's helped a lot, <laughs> and I think uh, I I always had an I always like had a beef with Kevin Costner when oh, he was why? like super popular. I just never liked his movies. Mm, I think sure. it's because. Uh, like all white women of that age, my mom was obsessed with Kevin Costner. Oh, no. And so we watched a lot of his movies. I just always thought he was really boring. He is. And it you wasn't right. until I got older and saw movies like Bull Durham mm-hmm. where I see like, this dude can be charming as hell. He I can suppose. be really fun and really charming when he wants to be. I gotta see Bull Durham. But I find, I, I think I am, I am of the opinion of you when you were whatever age yeah that he's really boring for sure yeah for sure and a lot of his iconic performances and a lot of his iconic films he's not the strongest thing in it mm-hmm. all right let's talk a little bit about oliver stone he is uh, this is one of our two opportunities to talk about him he'll come up again oh. when we discuss scarface because uh-huh. he wrote that movie uh but he's a he's a pretty fascinating figure uh in hollywood and at the time this movie came out he was operating at the very 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 pinnacle of his powers he was a guy he was he was getting the reputation as like like Spielberg like Mm -hmm. he was one of these guys who just gets things done you know he kind of has a blank check to do any movie he wants Mm -hmm. Uh, so Oliver Stone was born in New York in 1946 he was admitted to Yale in 1965 when he was 18 but he dropped out Mm -hmm. so he could enlist in the army Mm -hmm. and he specifically requested combat duty in Vietnam Uh, he went over there. He served. He wound up being being injured twice during combat missions, and uh, that earned him a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star, amongst many other medals. Huh. So he was actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, after returning to the States, he enrolled at NYU with a focus on being a screenwriter. Mm. Uh, he wrote and directed a couple of low-rent horror movies in the, in the 70s before he finally wrote his big break, which was the 1979 prison drama Midnight Express. Did you ever see that one? I have not. Have you? It's very upsetting. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't recommend it. Oh. Uh, it's upsetting a, I, in like what way? It, it's like very heavy on uh, 
rape scenes and also it's just kind of about your conditions in a turkish prison Ooh, like okay. in the 50s and it's yeah. not uh very no, that doesn't sound pleasant. like a way i want to spend two hours but either way his screenplay earned him a, a best screenwriting oscar mm. um and right, his first well besides the horror films but like his first major this was screenplay? like his first big movie huh. and then he followed it up with a couple of big successes including conan the barbarian which mm. i did not know he wrote mm-hmm. and uh scarface with mm-hmm. al pacino before we were finally uh which we're going to talk about eventually mm-hmm. uh but his big break as a director came with his major studio debut platoon Platoon. which drew very heavily from his own experience in vietnam Mm -hmm. that went on to be a massive critical and commercial success it earned him uh it it earned oscars for best picture and best director and he was off to the races at this point for Mm -hmm. the rest of the 80s it was basically just hit after hit after hit from oliver stone so we had salvador we had wall street we had talk radio born on the fourth of july and then going into the 90s we had the doors we had natural born killers Mm -hmm. And JFK, of course, mm-hmm. which I think might be his biggest hit. I need yeah. to look into that. That's but... what Wikipedia told me anyway. Okay, I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> 200 million worldwide. I mean, that's yeah. nothing to sniff at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for a while, Stone was pretty much untouchable in Hollywood. And he was kind of a mark of quality. Like you were going to see an interesting mm-hmm. movie if you saw an Oliver Stone film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things Where's changed. Where's he lately? Has he dropped off? That's the thing. Like, yeah, you're not going to really notice where he is mm-hmm. lately, you know? Uh as he entered the 2000s, his projects grew kind of less passionate. His mm. politics grew murkier. So Ooh. you get movies like Any Given Sunday, World Trade Center, Alexander, Ooh. W, Savages, Ooh. Snowden. Like, Ooh. I forgot that there was an Edward Snowden movie at yeah. all, much less than he directed Joseph it. Because it had Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing the really terrible Snowden accent. Was he doing an accent? See, yeah. I, don't, I didn't even see it. Ugh. But none of those movies really had the impact of his career. And I mean, watching JFK or watching Nixon or other movies like that, could you imagine the same director made W, which was basically just like a big apology for George W. Bush's presidency, like a man who should be tried for war crimes sounds like he lost his edge. Yeah, yeah, he lost his edge in some ways. Um, And then he his, I don't know, his public face has become like, I don't think toxic is necessarily the word, but He's he's kind of eye rolly. Yeah, it at seems this like point. we've outgrown him. As yeah, his his views have gotten more and more difficult to pin down. Like he still kind of espouses very far left leaning mm-hmm. uh, politics, but again, he did W, and then mm-hmm. he was also a vocal supporter of Harvey Weinstein when all of those oh, accusations no, were coming out. Really? Probably because he has a few accusations mm-hmm. against him of his own. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah, yeah, we've. Definitely, there was a rise and fall to Oliver Stone. Definitely yeah. a rise and fall. And, uh, you know, who knows? He might surprise us, pull a George Miller with the third act. But um, I, I. With some happy feet, too. With some happy feet, too. <laughs> and so, Which I just watched recently. That movie's nuts. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, yeah. So, all right, a little bit about the controversy surrounding this movie before we actually talk about the movie itself. So, this was a bit of a lightning rod in the months coming out to its release. And many press outlets took a very unusual stance in that they condemned the movie before it was even done. Yeah, because they had heard leaks or something? They'd read the scripts and uh, a couple of people had done set visits and they came out just saying like, yeah, this movie's trash, this is really irresponsible and they shouldn't Mm -hmm. be doing this. Mm -hmm. And then after the movie came out, some more issues were being brought up, uh, mostly accusations that Stone fabricated a Mm -hmm. great deal of the stuff that he's putting in this movie as evidence. So, like, wasn't it based on a book too, though? It was based on a couple of books uh, and also testimony from Jim Garrison himself. Mm -hmm. And But but some, some issues get conflated or kind of mixed together. Like, 
I think one of the most important ones is that David Ferry, uh, uh, Joe Pesci's character in this, mm-hmm. you know, he has a very memorable scene where he's completely freaking out, mm-hmm. confessing to everything, being a CIA operative, to being involved with the assassination, and then he dies. Mm-hmm. David Ferry never once admitted to anybody that he mm. was in the cia he kept that he kept denying it up that until his death completely fabricated yeah and his death was ruled uh natural causes i mean mm. whatever stock you may want to put into that mm. i think that's my problem with with conspiracy theories in general is that any piece of evidence you can put forward can be countered with yeah that's what they want you to think mm. that's what so yeah. that's kind of how people dig in on their beliefs a little bit you're presented with facts and you just don't believe them or, mm-hmm. or you you counter them with like your own facts mm-hmm. so i don't know that's one of the issues another one of the issues is that some of the witness characters during the trial scene were conflated into the kevin bacon character mm. and one of the more troubling uh witnesses that they had is a guy named perry russo they they tried to get a confession out of him through truth serums through hypnosis through lots of other things that basically made him inadmissible in court mm-hmm. and uh they they brought up a lot of ethical violations that Garrison and his team might have tried to coerce uh, a confession out of this guy with Mm -hmm. drugs. So... Also, correct me if I'm wrong, because I just read this in passing before I came here, but there's been of late some allegations that Garrison may have just been homophobic. I can hear that argument (laughs) watching this movie. I can 100% hear that argument, you know? Uh, I I would not be surprised, and I we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But I have some I have some thoughts on that whole element of the okay. movie. I think one uh, one detail that's actually pretty interesting and relevant to today's world, uh, interestingly, is the Umbrella Man. Mm-hmm. All right, so they go into this story of the Umbrella Man, and it's been a popular uh, conspiracy theory for years and years. Errol Morris actually made a documentary about him. Mm-hmm. Um, the the theory posited by the movie is that the umbrella man was using his umbrella to signal to the shooters when mm-hmm. it was clear to take a shot mm-hmm. uh some other more outlandish theories have speculated that he had a poison dart inside that umbrella and he shot kennedy to keep him mobile hmm. or keep him um, immobile mm-hmm. so that he could be shot more easily um the real story is that it's a, a guy named louis vitt who uh came to the parade to heckle jfk mm-hmm. so uh, do you know Neville Chamberlain, former prime minister of uh, the UK? Like he, he was a Nazi sympathizer, and he was known for carrying around a black umbrella all the time. And JFK's father, Joseph Kennedy, was a vocal supporter of Neville, Neville Chamberlain. So this was meant to kind of say, "Hey, remember your dad's a Nazi supporter." You know, mm. it's kind of a, a a weird, obtuse way of huh. heckling JFK when he rode Whoa. by. That's pretty. I mean, that's a pretty niche way to heckle someone. It is. That's very obscure heckling. <laughs> I, I have to imagine it was a little more relevant back then. Yeah. Do you think that would have landed? I I imagine no one would have noticed anything weird about that. Huh. I imagine nobody would have seen anything. <laughs> kind of a deep cut of a heckle. It was a bit of a <laughs> self-protest. It was like, he's like, I'm going to do this. Uh-huh. Like, if he sees it, that's cool. But yeah, it, it was a deep cut. Interesting. I did think it was interesting, though, because the Umbrella Man has been popping up in the news a lot lately. Have you followed no, this I at haven't. all? So there's there's been a, a man just kind of identified as Umbrella Man who was spotted at the George Floyd uh, protests breaking windows oh, and inciting shit. violence. Which city? Uh, I think it was it was after um, – where was Floyd killed? I'm sorry. I'm blanking. Min- it was Minnesota. Min- yeah, Minnesota. Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. And um, – yeah, so it was there, and it was kind of the early wakes, and then that man has now been linked to white supremacist groups, and I guess that black umbrella oh, has shit. been seen as a symbol of white supremacists, oh, 
because what? apparently they just get all the symbols. Yeah. They just get to claim they get, every symbol. They get the frog and black umbrellas. They get the okay hand gesture. They get every the number 14. They get Jesus. everything. It's it's crazy. Leave something for us. Yeah. Anyway, I just <laughs> thought that was an interesting little huh. uh, parallel. Yeah. Um, Timely. And one other thing is that uh, our boy Roger Ebert stood up and defended this movie and was publicly chided by no other than Walter Cronkite. Really? Who said, uh, oh. who, who said he lived through these events uh-huh. and he felt that the movie was uh, was pretty offensive. That is a fight that I would watch. I would watch that. Yeah, two very <laughs> stately old men having a war of words. That would be pretty great. Yeah. Uh, I guess another controversial choice here was... Uh, I didn't realize this, but for a lot of people, this was the first time they ever actually saw the Zapruder footage of Kennedy oh, being shot. Really? The movie shows the president being shot. That we, wasn't we, shown on television during? Uh, not not in this level of detail. Mm. Oh, like, we've seen clips of it, but uh-huh. um, this movie, and that I guess this should be a trigger warning for anybody wanting to watch it, too. You see the president's head explode. You yeah, see the actual yeah. footage of, of the man it's rough. being shot in the head. And it... it, it as grainy as the Zapruder mm-hmm. footage is, you're still seeing a lot, and it's very and you're upsetting. Seeing, like, Jackie react you're seeing too. Jackie. It's a lot. It, it's it's hard to watch, and it's like over and over. You see it a few times. Again. You see and it a then, few like, times. And then like slowed down frame by frame. So that's that's a controversial decision. I mean, those images had been in circulation for years, but uh, it, it's a little disturbing to watch, especially yeah. if you're going into a movie theater not expecting it. Yeah. But one very interesting aftermath of this movie is that because of this film's success and because of Stone's lobbying efforts, in 1992, Congress passed the Assassination Disclosure Act, mm-hmm. which in which they promised to reveal any information pertinent to the uh, assassination available in 2017 as opposed to 2038. Mm. And so those came out. Mm-hmm. Those came out in 2017. But and did it cause a big ruckus? Nothing. Yeah. Basically nothing. Because <laughs> did people even notice? People didn't really notice. And... I think it's because the details they released were not terribly exciting. They still mm-hmm. had to censor a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the the files that they released were still kind of supporting Oswald as the lone shooter, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the generally historically accepted theory yeah. behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. President Fucknut in 2018, he decided to to let it all out there, and mm-hmm. nobody cared. <laughs> um, Jesus. They added that to the post credit scene, and I was wondering. Yeah. So was that just for the home video release or something? I think it was. Did you watch the director's cut of this or the the, the three and a half hour one or the three the, hour one? The three and a half. That was, okay. was a, I watched a, a version that was three hours and 26 minutes. That's the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is. The, but I've been watching one that was shorter. Uh, no, I think the, the there's a there's a three hour and eight minute cut. So it's not like dramatically shorter, but it is Why a little bit shorter. Why didn't I watch shorter. that one? Oh. I don't know. I had the DVD oh and it's, this is the one that was on it. But I think it's kind of the accepted cut of it now too. So. Oh, I don't know. I wish I could have saved those 20 minutes. All right. Well, let's jump into this movie. Do you have a one-sentence summary of this movie? Not yet. Not uh, yet. Okay. I'll, I'll get one next week. Okay. Um, okay. But I... this Okay. I guess this was my first Oliver Stone film. This is your first one? Okay. Yeah. And um, as someone who's like more of a... like Who grew up with like Fox Searchlight films and is now steeped in like female directors and yeah. like and is in that sort of corner of film i've sort of been passively avoiding oliver stone films like i've seen them come out and like i know that they are important for pop culture but i think in my circle of film friends they're generally like poo-pooed upon yeah oliver stone and another biopic so when i told my friend i was watching this she was like oh that sounds like torture (laughs) so i may have been (laughs) may or may not have been influenced by my peers by my hatred of this movie but i was i was waiting for it to have an in cold blood like 
resurgence for me. I was like, maybe, like, I love Aaron Sorkin, mm. and I lo- generally love white people yelling at each other. Sure. So I was like, <laughs> who does Right, oh, of course. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so this should be my jam <clears throat> on paper. <clears throat> but, like, something about it, it, it was A, too long for me. Mm. B, I'm just naturally not much, and this is a part of myself that I don't really like, but I'm not much of a history buff. Okay. So a lot of it was just sort of names and people and, and places and, like, and and see, this is a very like dad movie. Yeah. And I'm not a huge dad movie fan. If I don't know if that's problematic to say, but like I, I don't was like, think my, so. My dad would love this, or like anyone's dad who was maybe alive during this time, or yeah. or or had any sort of like connection to it. But I just, oh my gosh, they droned on and on, and I was like, and it and it never got even during the climax. It still was sort of like. I just, oh, it didn't, didn't do it for me. I have okay. to, I'm sorry to say. Sorry, no, that's <laughs> that is perfectly fair because <clears throat> I I had the opposite experience. Like I don't, I didn't feel like it droned on. Like mm-hmm. honestly, three and a half hours, it flew by. Oh, yeah. Like I, I felt like I I, t- I personally I like very talky movies, mm-hmm. and this is a very very talky it talky is, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots of details being laid on, and it's just like overflowing with like great character actors and and. It's it's smart, it's persuasive, and it's interesting. Like it's, it's measured. Yeah, for sure. it's it's never boring for a second to me. But but maybe I'm just too steep in with the political movies and TV that I do watch, like the Veeps and the yeah that kind of thing. Maybe I'm just too steeped in that sort of cynical, sarcastic, like bureaucratic as humor type political drama. Yeah, that to see one that's so earnestly straightforward was a little bit jarring yeah yeah well this movie does some very interesting things and i think this is part of why without having read the essay i I speculate this is kind of why ebert was drawn to it because in a more innocent time before fake news was the prevailing uh uh, the word of the day Mm -hmm. this movie conflated history with conspiracy theory in a very interesting way. Like Mm -hmm. we were seeing the events unfold as if they had actually happened in that way, rather than seeing the events unfold in the way that we happened. And all we can do is speculate, you know, obviously. Do you think like the audience, the mass audience at large were like, oh, this is historical fact. I feel like I left the movie feeling somewhat persuaded, Mm -hmm. uh, even knowing better. I'm like, okay, they're making a good argument for all of this. Well, yeah, the part at the end when he's like, how did Lee go from this stair to this stair and over here in like 90 seconds and da 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 Yeah, yeah. No, they make some good points, but the, the thing is, it's like... It's an unreliable narrator. It's it's mm-hmm. Oliver Stone telling the story through his perception. And there's never really a moment where you feel like the movie doesn't believe in its own theory. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess we kind of get a little moment where Michael Rooker, like, uh, uh, throws down, babyface Michael Rooker, by the way, <laughs> he, he throws down and he, he throws in the gauntlet and says, this is crazy. What are we looking into this for? This is just yeah. going to cost us all our careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just kind of seen as like a roadblock. Yeah, an obstacle. And we get this big dramatic like 30 minute monologue closing out the movie by Kevin Costner in the Mm -hmm. trial scene. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if they touched on this in the movie, but in real life, the trial or the the jury convened for less than an hour before they unequivocally Uh said that Clay Shaw is not guilty. Mm -hmm. Like they were not convinced by this argument at all. Mm -hmm. 
But you wouldn't really know that watching this movie yeah, because I'd be curious it's curious to see what the actual argument was. I'm very curious too. I know that the speech at the end was not his actual speech in real life, Jim Garrison's. It was con- it was combined from a couple of different sources mm-hmm. to be more cinematic. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh, staged in a way, kind of like Inherit the Wind or something like that, like mm-hmm. this big courtroom drama, this mm-hmm. big payoff, mm-hmm. and. You have to expect to see, like, you know, a, an elderly black woman dab tears from her eyes with a single <laughs> handkerchief and then stand up and give a slow yeah. clap, you know? You can't handle the truth. You did it! You <laughs> convinced us! No, like, you almost expect that, but, like... But it ends kind of with a whimper. It ends with a whimper, and the real-life case was kind of seen as a fiasco, mm. whereas here it's presented as this big hero moment. Mm-hmm. Um so before we get into the little bit of the trial, I want to talk about this cast because mm-hmm. I forgot how many people were going to be showing up in this. It's stacked. It's way stacked. And I really like that Oliver Stone chose to cast a bunch of comedic actors mm-hmm. in like dramatic roles. So yeah. like, like I said, Joe Pesci shows up mm-hmm. without being credited. Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Asner is in this. John Candy is in this yeah. doing serious work. Donald Sutherland shows up. Wayne Knight. I know. <laughs> Fucking Wayne Knight. I mean, Space Jam's Wayne Space Knight. Jam's Wayne Knight. I mean, I, he was on Seinfeld at this point. Oh like he gosh. was, he was known oh. as a comedy. He wasn't like a movie star yet, but yeah. like, yeah, he it's was. It's a bunch known. of people who feel like they should not fit. But yeah, kind of do. Yeah, 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 yeah. They do, and they they're all giving very good performances. Yeah. Like you know, uh, uh, I thought Candy was particularly effective playing against type mm-hmm. from what i read he was at, like all the sweat on him was very real oh, really? because he was nervous about being on the set with all these heavy hitters and like Aww. he worried he wasn't going to be able to carry his weight but he was great yeah um yeah so i mean i think that's really cool and that, that's a testament to oliver stone's power at this time that mm-hmm. all of these actors showed up for significantly less than their day rate to to do some of these lines here yeah. wow this is the third movie we'll watch in the show and the third movie in a row that really doesn't value women that much. Yeah. Although, we got Laurie Metcalf and Sissy Spacek. As yeah. I, women. Sissy Spacek not given a lot to do here is yeah. the typical uh, angry like, wife staying at home. Why you come home for Easter? But I was happy to see how much time Laurie Metcalf gets in this yeah. movie because she rules and uh, she, she killed it. She gets a lot of great moments in this mm-hmm. movie as well. Um, but yeah, fantastic cast and... We do have to talk about the two things that this movie did win Oscars for. That's the cinematography mm-hmm. and that's the editing. Mm. I think the editing in this movie is groundbreaking. Mm, uh, because contextually, like, the 90s were kind of all about quick cuts and overlaying stories like this. But it started here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the first movie that really, really did it well and in this very seamless, interesting yeah. way. So, I will like, say, I mean, I, I said that the movie dragged earlier, but I will say any t- time where the editing gets a chance to show off, like at the beginning or when we're cutting back and forth between black and white scenes or when we're cutting back and forth between scenes that are colored in that sort of sepia tone, like I was like captured. I yeah. was like, this is snappy, zappy editing. Yeah. I dig it. Fantastically. Yeah. And it, and it drives things along and you get little things like they're, they're discussing some of the details of the case. And then while you're hearing their voiceover, you're watching the photo be doctored of, mm-hmm. of Lee Harvey Oswald holding the gun. Like you're watching somebody meticulously cut and paste before Photoshop, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah. putting it all together like that. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no evidence whatsoever to support that anyone doctored that photo, that it wasn't actually Oswald. But I think that's where I kind of bump up against this movie. It's that, like, 
I don't know. I, I feel like you need to make it clear that this is speculation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it doesn't makes me feel like this movie is not speculating. This mm-hmm. movie is convinced Presenting of its own truth. Yeah. And that's where you get into some sticky shit. And I think... So you don't think this movie is on, like, ethically solid ground? That's where I'm running into it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's very ethical. And, and every movie is going to have confabulation it's going to have exaggeration like no movie is a documentary not even documentaries you know everything has has a a narrative fictional spin to it every cut is a lie but yeah exactly but you have to i i guess when your overall message here Mm -hmm. is presenting conspiracy theorists or people who push these fringe theories as great American heroes speaking truth to power, I think you're riding a pretty fine line. Kind of dangerous. Kind of a dangerous line, as we've seen it play out. We have people denying the Sandy Hook shootings and harassing parents over that, like uh, they're grieving their children because they're convinced that they're these great American patriots telling truth to power. Mm -hmm. They all are seeing themselves as Jim Garrison at the end of this movie giving his impassioned or monotone speech. It's interesting, uh, like, the timing, like, watching this movie today and thinking about JFK and JFK conspiracy theories and how almost quaint that JFK conspiracy theories are compared to, like, the shit that we have running amok today and how far it's gone. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's more fun to speculate that there is this shadowy cabal of people at the highest level of mm-hmm. government, you know. Mm-hmm. It's when you stop examining that critically and start thinking like, oh, okay, so these these parents in this small town whose children were shot at school, they're mm-hmm. they're clearly government actors, you know, all of them. Every every school shooting is a government, you know. Right. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, demon sperm will cure coronavirus, <laughs> all that. Yeah. <laughs> so you I feel like, and I don't know, it might not be fair to lay it on this movie. Like, I don't think it's going to be solely this movie. I think it was kind of a trope, like a Gen X trope to sit around and and toss these theories around. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, it it was was kind of a cool countercultural thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it's just aged extremely poorly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest problem here. But Mm -hmm. at the core of it, I think, is Oliver Stone is kind of arguing that the assassination of JFK is kind of the moment Mm -hmm. that America went astray. It was Mm -hmm. kind of the moment that everything started going wrong for us, Mm. which is an argument I can hear. Sure. Um, In like modern American history. Yeah. And I guess it also bothered me that maybe I missed it in some of the details, but who do you think Oliver Stone thinks did it? Uh, Ooh. I I don't know. I, I think... He clearly doesn't think it was that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, it, it seemed, I mean, they, they put forward the theory that maybe, like, Lyndon Johnson was behind yeah. it, but he didn't really seem to stand behind that super strongly. No. Like, he didn't really I think, put his weight behind one particular or a group of people. That's the kind of, that's another thing that just kind of throws me off. I'm like, okay, you're going to make this <laughs> statement. You're going to say, the president was murdered by the the story of this assassination is not what you think it is, and mm-hmm. it goes all the way to the top. I'm like, all right, you got me, you got mm-hmm. me. Tell me yeah. more. I am open to this idea. There's yeah. undeniably there's some shady stuff around this assassination. There's mm-hmm. some stuff that doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. Like I get where this comes from, mm-hmm. but you got to come forward with something. You yeah. got to give me something. You can't you make sh- a three and a half hour thesis argument and not present what like you actually think. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. Yeah. Listeners, write in. Let me know if if I missed it in there somewhere. Like, the the Johnson thing seems to be the way it's all going, but mm-hmm. but it's really hard to be sure. Mm-hmm. 
because so much of this movie revolves around. So if, if we're shrinking it down a little bit, mm-hmm. this is about Jim Garrison, uh, uh, DA for New Orleans in 1966. And he receives a tip that, you know, the, the JFK assassination may not be all it's cracked up to excuse me, all all that it uh, appears to be, mm-hmm. and that this man named David Ferry might be involved with this assassination. Mm-hmm. And that starts off this whole years-long odyssey of trying to figure out who did it and try to hold them uh, accountable. And that leads him to a man named Clay Shaw, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who is a very successful businessman with a lot of uh, uh, high-up connections, and a lot of speculation is that he was the mastermind behind the assassination. Mm-hmm. Uh the important thing to note about Clay Shaw is that he's a homosexual mm-hmm. uh, and he runs in homosexual circles, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, in the South in the 60s, I understand, would be uh, very, you know, yeah, it'd be dangerous. It'd yeah. be a dangerous circle to be in. Yeah. Now or in the 60s. Now or in the 60s at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was illegal in Louisiana at the time. So it mm-hmm. was, it did kind of give. Just to be out? just to be homosexual at all yeah sodomy was illegal like in a lot of states so like it gave them an in to kind of get in and like investigate this guy they had a reason to investigate this guy Mm -hmm. you mentioned that there's some accusations about garrison just being homophobic yeah i feel like that's kind of borne out Mm. in this movie a little bit without ever actually making him an all-out homophobe Mm -hmm. like i think he's using the public's perception of his gayness to kind of paint him as a sinister figure and honestly i think the movie's doing that too yeah this movie did not feel i don't know it didn't feel like it was on the right side of history in a lot of ways no (laughs) so we we get this very very bizarre like oh yeah the scene with the house yeah this snm orgy scene with Like, like is that what you think like that gay sex is like? Yeah, they they dress up like Victorian dandies and they whip each other. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is in all gold body paint. Yeah, that was baffling to me. They're like making Kevin Bacon walk around on all fours like a dog and like mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, I'm not kink shaming. I'm not but I'm like mm-hmm. have you met a gay person? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know, maybe it was different in the sixties, but I'm like mm-hmm. and the way it's shot and the way it's edited and the way it's kind of uh cut with We're clearly supposed to be like shocked we're supposed to be shocked we're supposed to be icked out a little bit we're supposed to see that these are devious men (sighs) because look at what they get up to when you're not watching and i think that's something that the movie never properly reconciles Mm -hmm. and i think it hangs over the entire film that like you know i don't know you you just Mm -hmm. you just can't really get around that weird like casual homophobia like yeah i don't know i have i was not alive at this time but it seems like it was just sort of the default where everyone had a little bit of gay panic in them and that was the norm and you could kind of feel that in this movie Mm -hmm. which is why i think it i associate it as a dad movie because my dad is a boomer and he's like very homophobic so he would have been sort of in line with this movie's values sure yeah he's probably right in that demographic yeah yeah Yeah. so there is a little bit of like angry white man uh gesticulating and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that yeah but it also kind of makes it hard to get behind garrison as any kind of heroic character yeah you know um he's he's like also just very much like a straight-laced family man who like yeah takes his family to church or whatever for sure yeah yeah and you know like we we already kind of picked on a little bit but costner is definitely kind of the hole at the center of this movie Mm -hmm. i think it there's just really no way around it like Mm -hmm. anytime you put him in like a leading man like a 
like a big serious leading man position, he just kind of shuts down. Mm-hmm. You know, because he felt like a wind up monkey. A little they wound bit. Wound up for the three hour and a half like dialogue that he was supposed to say and just let him go. They they wanted Mel Gibson originally, mm-hmm. which really? uh, that would have made this movie extra problematic. But yeah. I guess my hot take is I think he would have done been better. better. <laughs> uh, that is a hot take. It's one of those horrible things you hate to admit, <laughs> but it's like I mean, it would have aged worse like mel gibson is a human monster but he's a he was he a good a, actor I mean, I like put them on a, a chicken run, so. he was a compelling <laughs> screen presence you know another person what auditioning another person auditioning for this movie was james woods oh. who wanted the uh uh-huh. he wanted the garrison part uh and uh uh stone offered him the david ferry role mm-hmm. but he didn't want to do it he wanted to do garrison or nothing mm. and he's another person who's turned out to be mm-hmm. very disappointing um. Yeah, Harrison Ford was talked to to be oh, Garrison at one point Harrison as well. Ford would have been interesting. I maybe. think he would have been good. I don't know. I guess I sort of see him as a bit of a like a brick, but I, think I haven't have been seen t- enough of him. I guess probably too handsome for this yeah. role because um, the real Jim Garrison is in this movie. Playing, yeah, he had, playing, does he have a cameo? He play, has a cameo playing Earl Warren. Oh. So you do get to see what he looks like, and it's uh, not Harrison Ford. Um, <laughs> Kevin Costner is closer. But I'm it's sure just he like, would have loved Harrison Ford to play Oh, him. probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's the thing that always kind of sticks with me at the end of this movie is just that there's there's it's it's a fascinating discussion mm-hmm. it's it's for me it's fun to watch because mm-hmm. you're hearing these ideas in a fairly safe environment and you can you can you can hear the argument on the opposite side like mm-hmm. where as far as where i come down on the jfk assassination i don't fucking know yeah i i was born 20 years after the man died I don't really have any kind of emotional connection Same. with Kennedy at all. And the conspiracy theories have always been mildly diverting, but it's not. I'm kind of an anti-conspiracy theory guy, I think. Yeah. I think that's, that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think the movie wants, like I said, the movie wants us to speak truth to power. It wants us to not blindly accept every fact as true. Mm-hmm. But then present facts. Present facts. <laughs> present counter facts. Yeah. Like, tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. What we're dealing here is we we have the procedural laid out, and I think the I think Stone really wants us to make up our own mind. Mm-hmm. That's but what not Donald really. Sutherland is like when yeah. he gives his speech. He's like, "But don't take it from me, the man who's just been delivering this very slick monologue for the past twenty minutes. Yeah. Make up your own mind." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it just it didn't land with me. I feel like this is a movie that just has not aged no. well. Um, I can't think of like one friend that I would recommend this movie to. Okay, all right. You don't even have like a weird friend or like. Oh, I uh, have weird friends, <laughs> but I'll, I'll recommend them different movies. I don't know. Like, I I would not. Uh, I would not put this on the list. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Yeah, I wouldn't it's put it kind, on of the list. kind of baffling to me that it is on the list. Yeah, I, 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 I was like, what? What was the thinking behind this? Yeah, and, I, and we're not here to kick anything off. But you know, if we were, I would kick <laughs> it off. But uh, yeah, I, I think I can understand where Ibrahim. And I'm looking forward to reading his essay on this. Yeah. Like, I think I, I, I can understand why you would write and defend this movie vociferously twenty years ago. Sure. I have a, I think as time passes, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder to I know. defend. I'm like, would he defend it today? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I did, one thing that was sort of memorable, and I'm wondering if this is the pop culture moment that I think it is because it seemed like it. But when Joe Pesci, before he dies and he's going on this like crazy rant and he's like, it's an enigma. It's an enigma wrapped in a blah, blah, blah. Is that a famous line? That is. That's okay. uh, that's Winston Churchill. Ah. Yeah, but he was he was kind of uh, uh, reclaiming that I for. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He did it with much passion. I do want to talk. I was speaking of Churchill. I want to talk a little bit about Gary Oldman uh-huh. here. Did you see The Darkest Hour? I did. I hated it. But, Me too. But, uh, I fell asleep. But this this is the movie. I think this is the first movie I saw Gary Oldman in. Oh, really? And I think uh, there was kind of the prevailing thought for like years and years that Gary Oldman is our finest living actor. And I don't think that's true. But I think he's great in this movie. Yeah. Even though he exists pretty much entirely in like phony archive footage. Yeah. But there's something very compelling about him and and the way that he, his physicality kind of, he is, he's he's like you said, he's the enigma wrapped in the mystery, wrapped in the riddle because every time you see him, you think, yeah, that guy could kill somebody, but also like. Yeah, that guy. That guy's probably innocent. Like he, he's he's a cipher. Yeah, uh, and with just he plays it with just enough menace, just enough like dead eyed menace to make you believe it either way. Yeah, it's that was a good performance, and also unlike anything I've ever seen him. I mean, I guess my only Gary Oldman points are like The Dark Knight sure. and The Darkest Hour. So it's like late stage Gary Oldman. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. A little bit weird to see him as a young a young lass. Yeah, yeah, as a as a, as a sparkling young girl of, <laughs> of twelve. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's. Uh, it's a very good performance from him. Mm-hmm. Definitely, if you're if you want to look into early uh, Gary Oldman, watch Sid and Nancy. Oh, Sid, Sid and Nancy, Nancy. amazing cool. performance in that movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really great Gary Oldman moment. And it really, aside from Costner, I thought all the performances were pretty stellar across mm-hmm. the board. Yeah. Um, again, I wouldn't have nominated Tommy Lee Jones for this role, <laughs> but it was interesting to see him playing against type. I would like to see which scene they showed. Like when they show the the one scene reel at the Oscars, if they did at the time, they used for Tommy Lee Jones's performance because I can't think of a standout scene. Every memory I have of him is him just sort of like sitting and being contemplative. Yeah, yeah, and being kind of defiant and and menacing. Yeah. Uh, but again, like I also every once in a while you notice like the Oscars kind of gets into a loop where they're like pushing one actor until they get mm, a win. Yeah. And I think Tommy Career Lee Jones Oscar. was kind of in that vain for a little bit that would make sense nicole kidman had her moment too like they kept pushing her pushing over Renee zellweger kept pushing 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 until she won like even though they weren't necessarily performances i would have nominated yeah didn't christopher Plummer win for something silly like beginners beginners yeah it was like a career oscar kind of yeah 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 Mm -hmm. so i think they were trying to do that with tommy lee jones at this time one of those same with susan sarandon she was nominated for like everything like five years in a row (laughs) until she won um anyway that's a little diversion but (laughs) yes that is jfk Thank you all for joining in our conversation about that. We are just effing kidding. That's what it stands for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I always thought it was Jesus fucking Christ. Christ (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, write in to uh, rogerslistpod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts or opinions on any of this. Yeah, where would you like to put this? So, Ah! so far on our list, we have In Cold Blood is number one Uh and uh, Unchien Andalou is number Mm -hmm. two. Is this a collaborative list or do we have separate lists? We'll have separate lists. Why not? Uh, On my list... Oh, we just, our lists are just the same. That's funny. They're the same so far, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm going to put this at number three. Yeah. It's not obvious. Yeah, I'm going there too. It's it's early in the list, so I could see there being room for this to be knocked out. But, Identical uh, lists. Not a, not, not a disappointing movie necessarily. Not a terrible movie. I think it's well-crafted, well-made movie. I think it's just on some ethically shaky ground, which makes it kind of hard for me to get behind it. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, tune in next week because what are we going to be talking about? <gasps> what are we watching? Ooh, what are we watching? Please, what are we watching? I don't even know. We are watching 
My Fair Lady. Yay! A another very long Woo! one, but a delightful George Cukor musical with Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. Uh, so, yes, uh, if you're watching along with us, go check out My Fair Lady. We're going to be back in one week's time to discuss that, and uh, you better get me to the church on time. Yay! That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. A happy movie! Yay! All right, night, everybody. Bye.